Hello, everybody, and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're looking at a concept that I believe Ted Lasso paved the way for by once bravely asking how many countries are in this country, to which the answer was four. Graham, we're talking Team GB today here on Soccer 101. How excited are you to discuss uh, national borders, nationalism, uh, and then like <laughs> Olympic decisions from the 1920s? Oh, well, naturally, I am Team GB's biggest fan, of, of course. course. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got the shirt. I actually do have one of the shirts, not because I supported Team GB at the 2012 Olympics. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on, but because it was designed by Stella McCartney and it was an instant collector's item. And so I thought I have to buy that. And so, yes, that is one that is in my collection. But yeah, Team GB is is... Particularly when we're talking about on the soccer side of things, we'll also address what Team GB is in a wider sense. But on the soccer side of things, um, Team GB is related to the Olympics. Olympic soccer is a weird subsection of soccer where nobody's really sure how much it matters. Obviously, it matters more in in the women's game is is the general sense, the general consensus. But even then, it feels a bit weird. It kind of exists to the side of the normal international game and the club game. And in the UK, it matters even less than it does everywhere else because they generally don't enter a team into the Olympics. And and the relationship between the four home nations is is also weird. And, And in a week where the UK and Ireland have won the bid to host Euro 2028, we thought this might be a good time to look at mm-hmm. Team GB and Olympic soccer and all that good weirdness stuff that comes yes, with sir. it. Uh, and I believe we do have a Soccer 101 episode previously about the Olympics, specifically why they aren't a bigger deal. Why aren't they more important? If they're the most important sporting competition for pretty much every other sport, why aren't they so much for soccer? And the... Uh, TLDR on that one would basically be because FIFA doesn't want them to be and hasn't wanted them to be. Uh, but we go find that episode if you want to talk about that. Instead, Graham, we're going to talk about Team GB for a good chunk of this one. Let's start with what is Team GB uh, if we were giving it its more proper title? Yeah, so Team GB is, is the brand name for the Great Britain and Northern Ireland Olympic team. I have to say it has been one of the most effective branding exercises in sports because everyone in the UK uses that term, Team GB. Everyone knows what it means. It's a name that has been used since 1999 and it coincided coincided with a real rise in the the British and Northern Irish Olympic programme. So the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta were a complete disaster for Great Britain. They won just one gold medal, finished 36th in the medal table. So after that, there's a real inquest. And as as, as part of the response to that disastrous showing, um, you have the Team GB name. And by the Sydney Olympics, four years later in 2000, Team GB had finished in the top 10 of the medal table with 11 golds. And Team GB continued to improve since then. By 2016, somewhat unbelievably, um, for a country of our size, Team GB finished second in the medal table behind only the the USA so that probably goes some way to explaining why Team GB has been adopted so widely in the UK and and beyond it is a symbol it's become a symbol of British sporting excellence and and people are really proud of it you walk around not just during the Olympics you walk around the streets I'm not saying you you would see every time you go outside your house but occasionally you will see people wearing like Team GB jackets or t-shirts or or tracksuits or whatever it is something that in this country people are proud of in your experience uh does it matter which country you're from in terms of how proud you are of team gb um yes and no so there are people in scotland who are proud of team gb who how should we put this have certain political leanings um, i think that is a big part and maybe we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on on how people think about team gb but it is worth clarifying that 
the, that Team GB is the Olympics team for athletes from England, Scotland and Wales. It's also for Northern Irish athletes, but they have a choice between representing Team GB or the Irish Olympic team. And perhaps the most notable athlete who has had this choice in the past is uh, Rory McIlroy. So he's one of the, the best golfers of his generation, a major winner, a former a former world number one. He plays for Ireland in Olympic golf over, over Team GB. Um, Team GB also encompasses the the Isle of Man, the Channel Islands and, and some other overseas territories including the Falkland Islands and, and, and Gibraltar as well. So it is it is quite a, a large umbrella that encompasses a, a number of different countries within the, the one country to kind of misquote Ted Lasso there. <laughs> Let, let's uh, stick with terminology for a moment, uh, a thing everyone loves. Can you do your best to explain the differences, or maybe they're just the same, between Great Britain, United Kingdom, and home nations? Because they all seem to get used at different points. And I've seen it argued that this team should not be called Team GB because there are teams that aren't involved. Yeah. There are countries that aren't, aren't involved, but they just are for the branding. So can you explain the differences between those three concepts, Great Britain, UK, and home nations? So you're absolutely right. There has been debate over Team GB being used because Great Britain, as a term, doesn't include Northern Ireland. Great Britain tends to refer to um, England, Scotland and Wales as kind of the the mainlands of Mm -hmm. the British Isles, so to speak. And then the UK, the United Kingdom, includes Northern Ireland and uh, the UK also includes a number of different territories. But it isn't Team UK and the, and the argument is that while the term UK would cover Northern Ireland and this is something that has been brought up by Northern Irish politicians there have been at Stormont which is the the Northern Irish um, parliament government there have been motions passed to rename G- Team GB because it doesn't it doesn't represent Northern Ireland and um, but the argument is that even if it was Team UK it still wouldn't include everyone from territories that technically aren't part of the UK. So the Falkland Islands, for example, you wouldn't say as part of the UK. They are under UK rule, essentially. Um, but the Falkland Islands isn't counted as, as, as part of the UK. So I, I, I think the actual answer is actually that Team GB was devised by a marketing department. And it <laughs> sounds good, right? Team GB <laughs> sounds, it's easier to say. It rolls off the tongue, tongue more than Team UK is a little bit clunky. I think that is the real reason. But yeah, the argument it put forward is that none of those tags, those terms would actually effectively represent who is part of this this athletic team. And as I understand it, it was actually going to be the GB and then Sean Parker <laughs> got involved and they just shortened it to GB. So that yeah, was nice cleaner. of them to remove the the. Exactly. Um, I've also learned from talking to my I- Irish friends that the Irish don't love when they're called the British Isles. Uh, so don't no. do that. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure what they would prefer that whole thing be called. Uh, but yeah, that, that was an important lesson to be learned. So Graham, let's also draw the distinction between, say, the Olympics and uh, FIFA or the World Cup, because we have Wales competing in a World Cup. We've had Ireland competing in a World Cup. Scotland, maybe one day. We'll see what happens. Uh, but they're all competing as their own entities. There is not one Team GB for the World Cup. Uh, so why is that? And then why is it not the case for the Olympics? Yeah, so for in terms of why it is, it is it's like that with the World Cup, mm-hmm. it purely just comes down to the fact it's always 
been that way. The home nations of the UK are the original nations in international soccer. The first ever international match is between England and Scotland. Wales and Northern Ireland follow pretty soon after that. So the argument has always been FIFA aren't actually the founding foundation of football, so to speak. The home nations are in terms of international soccer. Um, in terms of, 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 of in terms of Olympic soccer, excuse me, there, at various points over history, there has been a men's British soccer team in the Olympics. So in 1900, an amateur team called Upton Park FC, which actually wasn't West Ham. When I clicked on that name in Wikipedia, I was sure that was going to be an original name for West Ham. It's not. It's a completely different club, an amateur team. They were sent to represent Great Britain in, in, in the 1900 Olympics. Then in 1908, Great Britain sent a team of entirely English players to that tournament. The English FA picked the team and the Scottish FA complained against them being called Great Britain but it happened uh, nonetheless Great Great Britain, cough England has actually won gold in the men's football tournament in 1900, 1908 and 1912 the 1948 Olympics was the only time you actually had a proper Great British men's Olympic team where it was amateur players because it's the Olympics and that was a rule for a, for a long time. But you had Sir Matt Busby as the manager, of course, a Scot. Um, they had players from all four UK nations in the squad and that year they, they finished fourth. But after that, after that tournament, they go back to being English-only squads. And then from 1972, there is no Great Britain um, team in the men's football tournament. In 1984, the men's football tournament is made professional, which people at that time thought that might be the the barrier um, brought down for a Great British team to be involved. Of course, um, Great Britain being pretty successful, not just England, Scotland at that time as well, had a number of good players, but it still doesn't happen. Technically, Great Britain kept qualifying for the Olympics through the the under-21 Euros. That is the qualification process for for the men's Olympic tournament. Scotland qualified in 1982 and 1996, but didn't enter a team. England in 2008 and most recently in 2024 for, for Paris next year. But each time they have passed up the opportunity to send a team. On the women's side, um, there's been no women's football... There, there, excuse me, there was no women's football tournament until the 1996 Olympics. Um, but like the men's team, Team GB didn't enter a team. Then the 2012 Olympics come along, uh, which is kind of important to note. Um, they were obviously hosted by London and they were a real cultural moment in, in, in this country. So it was James decided was that... James man. Yeah. What was that? James Bond was there. Of course. Pretty significant. <laughs> On a, on a speedboat, yeah, of and he definitely abseiled into the stadium. That was totally him, and not a not a body double. <laughs> Daniel Craig definitely did that. But yeah, they were a real cultural moment. The, the London 2012 Olympics, as I guess they are in in most countries that that, that host them. And so it was decided that a women's team would be entered for the first time. Um, And for the first time since 1972, a men's team would be entered as well. This was, this was a huge story at the time. I I really, I remember this vividly. The Scottish FA refused to attend meetings and then the Welsh FA eventually withdrew from discussions as well. It was a real hot button, hot button topic. Certain politicians backed it. Others opposed it. And while it was never formalised as a stance, there was nothing put down in writing or said publicly, there was a sense, and this is the bit I remember vividly, there was a sense that any Scots in particular who accepted a call-up would would essentially be blacklisted from representing the Scottish national team in the future. So in the end, it is a squad that consists of 13 English players and 5 Welsh players. 
if you look through that squad, it is a fever dream of a team. It's got Ryan Giggs, Aaron Ramsey, good players, of course, but then Micah Richards, Daniel Sturridge, Jack Cork, who played for Sunderland, Stephen Cocker, who played for Swansea Oof. City at the time. It is a, it is a really, a, a really bizarre team. And then just quickly on the women's side, um, all 18 players on, on the women's team for 2012 were English. There hasn't been a, a, a men's Team GB since the 2012 Olympics, but there was a women's team in 2020. And it was agreed at that point that the highest ranked of the four home nations um, would compete. So if it's England that are the highest ranked, then it's an English, an all-English team. If it's Scotland, Wales, you get the idea. You'll never guess who, more often than not, ha- is the highest ranked team out of the four home nations in women's soccer. Yeah, it's England. So anytime there's a Team GB team in the Olympics, it's 99% of the time going to be an English team. I was going to say the Falklands, so I appreciate that clarification. <laughs> uh, Graham, further clarification, this is probably a more obvious one. This isn't just football, though, right? Like, if you are uh, a Welsh archer or a scottish biathlete you are if you're at the olympics competing for team gb correct or do you have different delegations for different sports no it's just purely team gb so there's not there's not uh the only difference is northern ireland of course they have the choice to to represent ireland or team gb but if you are you are scottish um and you are competing in the olympics you have no other choice you have to um, compete under the the British flag, and that is different to some other sports where you do have the option to co- um, compete under the Scottish flag. The Commonwealth Games, of course, is a little bit different there. It's a home nations tournament, um, and other countries that Great Britain colonised. And I'm g- guessing they're really thankful that the, the, we have a an athletics tournament every four years to say sorry for all the horrible things we did to all the countries that we colonised. But yeah, yeah, at the Commonwealth Games, you compete under a Scottish or a Welsh or an English flag, but you don't have that option with the Olympics. Another, I think, probably basic question, and maybe for you it will be so basic that you might struggle to answer it. I am very confused by the relations between the countries because, Graham, you live in a Scotland that voted not to leave the UK, to be part of the United Kingdom. And yet at the same time, to your own point, Scotland didn't really want to participate with Team GB and and would have been sort of blacklisted. And and there is this like like very strong opposition to it. I, I don't really understand how things work in that way, that you can be part of the UK of Team GB, but then also not want to be part of it simultaneously. Yeah, so let me address the, the first part of that question. When you're talking about the stance from the Scottish FA that anyone who accepted a call-up to Team GB would be blacklisted. It was a pretty, as I say, it was a, it was an, un, uh, an unwritten stance. It was never formalised or anything like that, but that was the sense at the time. Um, that just purely comes out of fear. So the, the reason in soccer why Team GB is so controversial as a concept is that, and this relates to what you were talking about at the top of the show there, Taylor, it di- directly contradicts the international uh, the, the international structure between the home nations. So there is a fear among the smaller home nations, so basically everyone besides England, that having a unified British team in the Olympics will essentially lead to a unified British team in the wider international game. And if you look at the FIFA statutes, there are parts of those statutes about government uh, governance that essentially mean that England, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales shouldn't really have their own national teams. But because it's always been this way, as I said before, because it's always been this way from the, the birth of international soccer, the home nations still exist. Everyone just accepts it as, as the way it is. But if you start to chip away at that, it might not stop until those those home nations are gone from international soccer. And if you look at how 
FIFA and UEFA are structured in terms of Scotland, England, Wales, Northern Ireland all have a vote in each of these governing bodies. They have a bigger say as a region, if you want to call it that, than a lot of other than every other country in UEFA. Then those countries, those rival countries, would surely would would be in favour of 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 contracting those four votes into one unified Great Britain vote. So there's fear essentially that if we have a a unified British team in the Olympics, that leads to the elimination of Scotland as an international soccer team, or Wales, or Northern Ireland as well. In your opinion, is that fear justified? Like, I don't feel like I've ever heard FIFA say, you know what, you should all be competing as one thing. But I can understand why you would worry about the slippery slope or why it would benefit FIFA to not have all of them voting uh, like as a block, but instead having them all just be one singular vote. It still doesn't seem like something that I've ever heard mooted or really heard discussed. No, it's not really ever been put forward. I don't think it is, um, it's on the agenda but I think each of the smaller federations are just so frightened, so terrified of doing anything that would ever put it on the agenda. They don't want to. They don't. They don't want to give them any sort of, of of excuse. I also think, related to the wider political situation, these countries just look at this the current situation where we don't compete in the Olympics. We have our own international teams and just think it works as it is. Like, why would we kick the hornet's nest, which could lead to a, 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 an uncomfortable political situation? So you're right, Taylor, there have literally been votes in the last 10 years for certain parts of the UK to break away and become independent. But yeah, it would it would, it would kick a hornet's nest to have a proper Team GB soccer team. And so the federations just think it's not really worth it. It is still so funny to me, ultimately, that like FIFA is the little brother here in terms of yeah, like England and Scotland inventing the game. I'll give you both credit for that because it will annoy Ryan Bailey, but also because I think it's kind of true. Uh, but like you all existing as footballing nations before the invention of FIFA, it is a bit like FIFA then trying to regulate and the uh, the home nations kind of being able to be like, no, nah, little brother, like we're going to do what we want. No, thank you. And <laughs> we've talked about this before. It's why IFAB, uh, who make the rules and adjust the rules as we go, is also separate from FIFA. It's So I think uh, that is always pretty fascinating to me. The question then, Graham, is how are things now? How are we looking for Team GB at Paris 2024? Yeah, so there's no suggestion that there will be a men's Team GB in, in, in Paris for the mm. 2024 Olympics, even though England did technically qualify, as I said, through this year's under 21 Euros. There will, however, be a women's Team GB team at Paris. Uh, Serena Wiegmann has been named as as the manager. This is interesting, right? This is a really interesting story. Qualification will be decided through the Nations League and England will compete um, for qualification on Team GB's behalf because they are the highest ranked team. The problem is... England have been drawn in the same group as Scotland. So Serena Wiegmann's side must win their Nations League group and then a a semi-final after that for Team GB to qualify for the Paris Olympics. So in theory, Scotland could cost Team GB their place at Paris 2024. And in theory, some of their own players a place in that team. On the other hand... Scotland can cost Team GB their place at the Olympics. Rubs hands gleefully. <laughs> <laughs> you feeling that like like that's a likely scenario, Graham? I don't think it's likely, but I do think those games against England yeah. are going to be highly, highly charged. I don't believe. Look, I'm not a professional soccer player, um, so maybe there are players within that Scotland team that would like to play at an Olympics. As we mentioned at the top of the show, the Olympics in the women's game does uh, have a little bit more prominence, or quite a bit more prominence than the men's tournament but nonetheless i have to think there are also players in that squad who are going to relish the opportunity to deny team gb competing at olympics 
one more question for me. My assumption was that both, if you had both competing in 2024, a, a Team GB on the men's side, a Team GB on the women's side, both would be almost entirely made up of English players with a few exceptions thrown in, maybe some for like politics purposes to make sure that you do have everybody represented. Is that accurate in your mind, Graham, that it would be largely England for both the men, men's and women's Team GB teams? So are you talking about if they had a completely free pick, there was no political um, yeah. factors, there was nothing stopping players from accepting a call-up? That's what mm-hmm. you're talking about. We're picking a team entirely on merit. Is, yes. that, is that what you mean? Um, yeah, largely it would be an English squad. There would be there would be a few exceptions. On the Scotland side, I would, I would say Andy Robertson gets into a Team mm-hmm. GB squad. I would even argue maybe John McGinn potentially gets into a squad. I'm not sure if he starts. Um, and then from the Welsh side, obviously Bale was the obvious one recently, now retired. Aaron Ramsey wouldn't get in any longer. I'm kind of struggling for any... Maybe that's me just that, being ignorant. But for, No, I think not, that's that's why I ask, is because I think maybe a few years ago it would have been like, oh, you could have... I mean, maybe even years before that, like Bale and Giggs, uh, but Bale especially, like playing for England would be pretty fascinating. I mean, right now... Uh, Daniel James, maybe? Does he make a difference? I feel like probably not. I doubt he's He doesn't there. get into a squad on merit. I mean, maybe no. he would be there to kind of, to make the point it's a full Great Britain team. But yeah, I'd struggle from Wales. I think Scotland Scotland would maybe prevent ben a Davies, couple Ben Davies, maybe? Potentially. Ben Davies, potentially. He's been quite decent for Tottenham this season. But even yeah. him, he's, you're you're struggling a little bit. I think it would be, with the exception of a couple picks from Scotland, it would it would be an England team. And then on the on the women's side, I think it would be the same sort of situation. Um, Katie, uh, not Katie McKay, excuse me, that she's plays for Republic of Ireland. That was obvious. That was almost a faux pas. Um, Erin yeah. Cuthbert on mm-hmm. from Scotland it plays for Chelsea. She would maybe get into the squad. Um, other than that, I mean, Caroline Weir, I think, would get into a Team GB squad. Plays for Real Madrid as as one of the best players in in Europe, or at least one of the best forwards. But yeah, I think it would be a similar situation on. On on both sides, where you would have uh, you'd have a largely English squad. Oh man, I got really confused for a moment looking up the Scotland uh, women's national team to see Sam- Samantha Kerr listed before remembering. Oh that yeah, we've different, got, different. Yeah, we've got Samantha our own Sam Kerr. Kerr. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, wait, did she did she very publicly but not publicly change teams? Because otherwise, I'm very confused. Uh, yeah, we paid but, a lot of money for her. <laughs> uh, any other points that we should go over when it comes to Team GB or uh, the Olympics? Just that the the women's team in 2024 will be interesting because England right now, the situation has changed for England, of course, where they are a genuine superpower of, of, the, of the women's game. And so the fact that they have hired Serena Wiegmann for that tournament or, or they've, they've given her that job, I don't know how much of a hiring process there was, um, kind of says that Team GB is going to take that tournament seriously and they haven't they haven't really done that before even in 2012 it felt like a bit of an exhibition it felt like it was that, that team wasn't really there to win anything they were just there to be there at our home olympics but this really does feel like for the first time team gb is going to put in a lot of effort um t- to actually mm-hmm. win the olympic tournament so i'm interested in what the makeup of that squad is whether there are some scottish players whether there's some welsh players and um, northern irish players or whether england serena Wiegmann. She might just, if she has complete freedom, she might just want to stick with the same England team that made a World mm-hmm. Cup final and won the Euros. From a team perspective, that might actually be the sensible thing to do. Those are all players that she knows, but then obviously there's political fallout from that. So that is an interesting story to keep an eye on. 
All right, final, final question. Not even from a Team G perspective, Team GB perspective necessarily. You said they will be interesting, the team. Uh, you said I am interested in them. You famously watch everything when it comes to football. Graham, do you watch Olympic soccer? Will you be watching Olympic soccer on the men's and women's side? <sighs> That's about the correct answer. <laughs> possibly i mean yeah you're right i watch i watch everything so if it's on tv i'll probably put on i'm not a massive olympics fan to be honest in general i mean it's a Mm -hmm. spectacle and i watch the opening ceremony because everyone knows i love an opening ceremony me and ryan bailey but beyond that i watch kind of the 100 meter sprint and the and the big kind of marquee events the football will probably be on at some point but it's not something i would say i'm necessarily looking forward to that's fair it'll just be there because because i think like lest we forget on the women's side you're you are allowed to call up your senior national team basically on the men's side you are not you have to call players 23 or under you have three overage players but that is a huge reason why on the men's side you don't get nearly as much enthusiasm because with very rare exceptions you're basically getting youth teams or the less experienced teams the united states having finally qualified on the men's side is going to send a team largely of unproven talents who have been playing professionally but are not at that top tier. Joe and I talked about this yesterday. Maybe they'll send a few more established names, but those names are going to be like Josh Sargent or Brandon Vasquez, players who are above that age limit. I believe they're both above that age limit, but it's not Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic are going to that tournament. Most nations don't do that. I think like the obvious exception was Neymar when Brazil were hosting, and that was because they wanted to win Olympic gold in Brazil with Neymar there, so he chose to play in that over the Copa America Centenario. But so that's why I think you don't often get nearly as much interest or enthusiasm, at least in the men's side. On the women's side, I think there is consistently more interest because it is the second biggest tournament behind the World Cup. Yeah, similar to what I said about the League's Cup, which was obviously the first time that happened this year in, in, in MLS and, and between Liga Mekis team teams. Um, what, what does it prove? What's the central pe- premise of this competition? Because you could say, well, you know, is, does this crown the best team in the world? No, that's the World Cup. Okay, so does it crown the best on the men's side? Does it crown the best youth team in the world? No, that's the under-21s World Cup or the under-21s Euros. It, it, I don't know what it proves. Like, if you win the, the Olympics on both the men's and the women's side, I don't yeah. know what, what you are by winning that. And so that's a if fundamental you, If you win it on both sides, I would argue it means that your federation is doing things right because it means that you're funding both programs well enough that you can send two teams, one of which is a younger team, and they can still be successful. So that's definitely a positive. It is crazy to think that on the women's side of things, I would say the Olympics is comfortably the second most important uh, tournament behind the World Cup. On the men's side, not sure it's even in the top five. To your point, you've got youth World Cups that I think are probably more important to federations than the Olympics. I would say the Euros and the Copa America are probably ahead of them, even though they are regional tournaments. I still think that in terms of their overall importance, those two probably rank a little bit higher. It's a strange difference and maybe also informs why you're going to get a Team GB because I think it will just be more interesting to see that team with maybe a few players added in to see what they can do against strong world-class opposition. As a US fan, on on the men's side I'm talking here mm-hmm. primarily, would you say the Olympics is is a bigger deal for the US men's national team than the Gold Cup? 
or are you are you taking the gold cup? Because I'm just wondering, like, That's because really the Olympics, question. because the Olympics is a rare opportunity for the US yeah. to play teams from around the world. Is that one of the rare instances where the the confederational tournament comes below the Olympics for a country? It's it's a really good question because it's a difficult one to answer. On the surface, I would say the Olympics because they haven't qualified for so long, and it's been a source of some frustration that you you need players playing in competitive environments, competitive national team games to just get that sort of experience down to understand what it's like. And so for the U.S. men to finally be sending a team, uh, like it, I, maybe they sent one the last one, but that, again, answers your question. That, like, I can't really remember because, no, I, I think I would probably value the Gold Cup more because it's an opportunity to win some silverware with your national team, albeit with the expectation that you are sort of meeting Mexico in the final and everything else is a foregone conclusion, uh, unless it isn't, which can also happen. Uh, but I think anytime you're getting the senior national team playing competitive games, it's probably always going to come first. Whereas, uh, put it this way, I think we are much more likely to cover the women's national team, the U.S. women's national team at the Olympics than we are the men's. We'll probably end up talking about both of them, but I get the I, I would venture to guess the women's team will get much more coverage. Yeah, I think that's fair. All that just leads to or adds to my sense of Olympic soccer being weird, though. Like yeah. no one really knows what it is or yep. how to think of it. It's it's a weird thing. And and I feel like no, it's it's also tough because you never fully know who is good. <laughs> like yeah. like your perennial powerhouses. Like you're usually going to get a strong Argentina team or a strong Brazil team. I feel like Nigeria have had success in the past, but I think because of the way qualifying works and the limited limited number of spots you don't always get a lot of the stronger European teams competing there the way you might expect, at least on the men's side. And so I think that also you need sort of the huge national teams. Like if you go to a World Cup on the men's side, you know Brazil, Argentina, Germany, France. Like you know the big ones, and you can kind of guess the big ones on the men's side at the Olympics, but there's no like set pattern in my mind. So I think that also makes it a little bit more confusing. There's often instances where one country will do really well at an Olympics, they might even win it, they might medal, whatever, and then the next Olympics they'll be like, ah, oh, we're not sending a team. Which just yeah, adds exactly. to your point that you never know who's you never know who's good, you never know who's taking it seriously, but with, with a World Cup or a Euros or a Copa America, you always know every country is taking it seriously. So uh, there's just a lack of frame of reference with Olympic soccer. Graham, can you tell me who won the gold medal on the men's side in twenty twenty? Uh, see that that was Brazil. I remember mm-hmm. I remember that one right because that was like the last they hadn't won it in until twenty twenty. Is that correct? Or they won in twenty sixteen as well. Oh right, okay. Right. That's the that's the one that I remember. Right. So, so twenty twelve. No, twenty twelve would be. Here's a good one for you. So Brazil usually do really well. I take that back. Brazil have won the last two. They finished second in twenty twelve. Do you know who beat them in twenty twelve? I'm guessing you don't. It's fair if you don't. <laughs> No. <laughs> Mexico. South okay. Korea finishing third. Uh, in 2008, it was Argentina, Nigeria, Brazil. In 2004, it was Argentina, Paraguay, Italy. Uh, and then, But yeah, Brazil, Argentina tend to be pretty strong in that one on the men's side. And then it gets a little bit murkier after that. Uh, the women's side, I think, is is more traditionally your, your standard powers, so to speak. The USA, uh, chief among them, Germany in uh, 2016. Uh, Canada in 2020, and we don't know yet in 2024. We'll find out in uh, about a half a year. We'll see how it goes. Uh, But in the meantime, Graham, uh, thank you for breaking it all down with me. Uh, I enjoyed this one immensely, even if it was talking about Olympic soccer, which fundamentally is not always going to be the most (laughs) exciting of topics. 
No, but it's still soccer, and yes. I enjoy talking about all there soccer. We go. So thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Thank you, my friend. Uh, listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>